Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. Now, for this interview episode, I am so honored to present Teresa Cassins. Now, does that name sound familiar? Yes, it does. So last week, you had the opportunity to really get to know my professor, Michael Cassins, and well, <laughs> I was just so honored and extraordinary excited. Oh, I can't even talk. I was really excited to be able to have an interview with his wife, Teresa Cassins, who is the dean at one of the local community colleges in Orange County. Now, a little more background about Teresa. She received her bachelor's degree at UC San Diego, then went on to receive her master's degree at UCLA, and finally received her EDD at USC. And let me just tell you, this woman completely killed it. And just like her amazing husband, Michael Cassins, she herself really focuses on first-generation students and just uplifting them as a whole. And well, mi gente, I'm just going to let this episode speak for itself and hope you enjoy. So my family is incredibly interesting. So my dad is a doctor um, and my mom is a hippie. And so they did not last. And so I was raised by a single mom because my parents divorced very early. And actually, if you look up their divorce case, it actually changed the rules for um, community property for the state of California. They were on Oprah and Donahue went to the Supreme Court. And so despite the fact that my father um, was highly educated um, and all the rest of it, I also had a single mom raising me. And so I had the background and I, my parents, you know, knew about college, but some of it, because of the divorce, I was in charge of putting myself through school. So it was, even though I had the, the guides in terms of knowing that people did college before me, a lot of it was me, um, sort of doing it on my own. No, yeah, but so based on all that, I guess I would still consider you like a first gen ally. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I want to be. I try very hard to be. (laughs) No, but but it's so funny that you say that because based on how you explained your time at UCSD and UCLA, I would have been like, oh, she definitely fits into the first gen category. Now, since you had to kind of figure out a lot of things on your own. Because again, like you had mentioned, your father, even though he was a doctor, he didn't really give you the most guidance needed. How did you guide your way through undergrad and your grad level program at UCSD and LA? Um, well, so I went, so I, I was raised in Orange County. Um, and anyone that knows Orange County knows it's called the Orange Curtain. And it's really awful in a lot of ways. Um and I'm a, a baby that was born in the 70s. And so when I went to college, I just wanted to get out. And so I went to, my mom had moved to Washington at that point. And so I went up to Washington for a little while. And I was that student, the one that was on um, academic probation for most of the first year, <laughs> um, trying to um, figure out, you know, who I was and how I fit in and and struggling a little bit. Um, and so I I pretty much almost failed out. And then I just um, 
had something really horrible happen to me and I was raped by a roommate. And so it was like, okay, now I need to get out of here. I need to figure out what I want to do. And so I ended up just super, like I was in the, the library every day and I just, you know, got my grades so I could get out and I applied for, to UC San Diego at the same time and I got accepted. And so um, I had to get out of Washington and had to come back down and, and be closer to my family. But I also did not want to be back in Orange County yet because it, it was just it, it's it's icky sometimes. Um, and so I went down to San Diego and um, found some people on one of those housing boards and just moved in with them, which is all sorts of random stories from that one, too. Um one of the one of my roommates was an escort, and she would come home and just like pull hundred dollar bills out of her top, and I'm like, oh my god, where were you? And you know, I'm broke, and she's like pulling these hundreds out and just like, oh, I had this great night, and she's higher than a kite, and I'm just like, okay, let's let's get you in the shower and cleaned up and put her to bed, and it was unbelievable, um, and so I I just you know you figure out like what your what you can deal with. And, um, and so I, I just hunkered down and was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And part of it was, I always was, was curious about things and I could never decide what I wanted to do. And so I kind of found ethnic studies by mistake. And that was my undergrad major because I, I, well, I didn't like psychology, my husband, who you've already talked to. Um, I liked sociology. I like history. Um, I've, I've had multiple majors during the thing. I was a liberal studies major, and then I was speech pathology, and then I was microbiology. I went in as pre-med, and I took calculus, physics, and chemistry in the same semester and obviously failed out. Um, and so ethnic studies was kind of everything. It was film studies and it was literature and it was sociology and psychology and history and everything. And, and it just was so interesting to me. And, and to hear these stories that you never hear about in normal K through 12, you know, you know Bell Hooks and um, Zora Neale Hurston and, and just these beautiful, amazing stories told in these just new ways to me and it just spoke to me. And so I, that was my major. And then most of my friends became teachers. And so I took one of those, those like tests, like, what, what do you want to do in your life? And, um, it was hilarious because they said there was like six options and it was, you can be a, um, lawyer, which no, I'm not going to sell my soul. Um, I just, that's not my thing. <laughs> it, you could be a priest. Well, I was raised Catholic and kind of rebelled against it a little bit because I, at that point, the church was, you know, there was a lot of things coming out and I was like, I, that's, I'm obviously the wrong gender for that, first of all. And then it was like policemen or firemen. And that's just not my, that's not my bag. I'm, you know, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, an interior designer, which I was like, oh, that might be interesting. And then teacher or librarian were the last two that, that said, like, these are the things that you would be good at. And so I was like, you know, I, I thought very seriously about being a teacher and going back to school and, and you know, getting my credentials and stuff. But I really, um, I, I went and hung out with a friend and I don't like the parents. I love kids. I adore kids, but the parents are awful. And so I was like, no, okay, I'll be a librarian. <laughs> And so I applied to um, UCLA and their master's program. It's a master of um, information studies. Wait, oh, I forget. MLIS, Master of Library and Information Studies. 
That's when you have know you have so many degrees. You're like, what was that one again? <laughs> what was that one? Um, yeah, so I so I applied and I got in, and um, that was 1998, and that was a huge year for me. I I <laughs> split up with a, a person who um, was not who I was engaged to. That was going to be really awful. Um, he was a. a he had some issues in his life and it was just not the right thing for me. And so I split up with him in January. I, um, got, I applied and got accepted in February, March, I think is the timeline. I met Michael in April. I went to grad school. I started in August. I met my best friend that August. And so it was like, I met the two most important people in my life and started a degree that ended up being the perfect fit for me. It was just exactly where I needed to be. And, um, and that was UCLA. And so I went up to UCLA, but, but that, I mean, it's hard. Grad school is really hard. (laughs) No. Yeah. And not only do I imagine it's hard academically, but the lifestyle you have to live in order to make it at UCLA. Like I can't even imagine the kind of meals you had to eat or the high rent prices you had to make. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so for me, there wasn't a whole lot of choices for grad school. So UCLA was the only choice that I really had. Um, but, but going, I was living at home right before because I had split up with my person. So um, I'd split up with a person. I moved back home just really briefly. Um, but that wasn't good. Because, you know, once you graduate from college, you're like, I'm an adult. I'm going to do what I want to. And I'm home. And my dad was Catholic. And so, like, all through high school, my curfew was 9 p.m. And so, you're back home after being in college. And, you know, like, yes. And and I had lived with somebody else for a little while. And so, like, I'm this adult. And then I'm going and I'm like, I got to get out. So, I went to UCLA. And it is the most expensive place in LA. So I don't know if everyone listening knows where UCLA is, but it it is crazy. It's Westwood and then Santa Monica is right next door to it and then Brentwood. And so you're driving to get to UCLA, you drive through all of the mansions of all the like multimillionaires. And so as a student, you know, there's not a lot of choices. You can either live in um, campus housing, but you know, I'm old at this point. Like, I, I don't want to live on campus housing. I don't want to do dorms. Um, or you can live really far away, but then you have to pay costs, either, you know, take a bus and then be, you know, on that schedule, or you can, um, you know, commute in some way. And so basically, um, Michael's friend, um, he was a, a handyman for a lady who owned a bunch of property. And so they had like this room and <laughs> it was this tiny little room and it was like, I don't know, it must have been like six feet by 10 feet. It was tiny. It fit a couch and a little tiny desk. And so the couch I would pull out and I would sleep in that at night and then I would put it back each morning. And, and you know, like you sit on the couch while I'm working at the desk. <laughs> and I had a little microwave on my desk and I had a George Foreman in the, the bathroom to cook my meat. And I had like a little tiny like Barbie refrigerator, you know, like a dorm refrigerator that had all my stuff. Um but it was close to campus. And so I could drive because I ended up getting a job working in the library. And so my shift was 5 p.m. to close, which was like 11 or midnight. And I didn't want to be waiting for a bus, you know, because I, once you've had a trauma where you've been raped, you always have that in your head. And so I didn't feel comfortable waiting for a bus or anything. I wanted to have my car so that I could walk from the library to my car and I knew I would be safe. It was always a problem trying to find parking in LA near my room, but 
it was in Brentwood. And so I, I didn't worry about it as much. And so I lived, you know, on the cheap. And thankfully, um, Michael and I knew right away that we were each other's people. And so he helped where he would come up. So one weekend he would come up and stay with me and he would take me out to dinner and we would hang out. And then the next weekend I would go home, I would go to his apartment and he would help me do my laundry and feed me. <laughs> and so he kind of took care of me. And that's, that sort of set the precedent for our entire relationship where one person's in school and one person's working and then we flip flop. And so we've, we've done that sort of the whole time. And so the good news was that the master's program was only two years and I ended up moving in with him in March. So I started school in August. I moved in with him in March and then I just commuted from, um, from Costa Mesa to LA. And again, those of you that don't know, that's a pretty brutal commute. So I would get up at, I would leave by five, if not before that, 5 a.m. because school started at nine and I sometimes wouldn't make it. Yep. Because you're, you're in. Sounds about right. Yeah. All through Orange County. You have to go through all the Orange County traffic, all the South Bay traffic, and then all of the airport traffic, and then get into LA proper to get through that. And it was brutal. But the good news was I was working late. And so I, I didn't have as much traffic coming home. And it was just, it was long days. And you just, I, I had just pallets of Pepsi in my trunk. <laughs> I just survived on Pepsis and I would like walk to my car and chug a cup of Pepsi and then go back to class and, you know, and, and like peanut butter sandwiches. It was always funny. There was this girl who she was, she was beautiful and she was smart and all the rest of it, but she like, oh, I have this bagel and avocado. And I'm like, an avocado? Are you kidding me? Those are like $2 each. That would buy me like a whole case of Pepsi. Like you're ridiculous. <laughs> She's like, it's so good and it's good for you. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but for you to still look this good and <sighs> Pepsi was your caffeine, I applaud you. That Pepsi helped you. I'll tell you that. Oh, Pepsis are delicious. And occasionally I would like get the, the cherry Pepsis. That was like, (laughs) those are good. Do you like spicy chips? I do. We, (gasps) yes. Mm, Do you ever, okay. I know it's not healthy, but when I have my cheat days, I'll have a nice cold Pepsi, sometimes Pepsi cherry with hot Cheetos or with Takis. Are you a fan of that? Yes. Super yummy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, yes, I like the spicy. So when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I literally carried Tapatio in my purse because I couldn't get enough of it. It was on everything. And it was like your eggs, your fries, your everything, like everything. And like, we, we have a huge jug still in our refrigerator that we like put on everything. It was ridiculous. So I, I mean, everywhere I was going, I'm like hot sauce. I need hot sauce. Is this like, this is boring. It's vanilla. <laughs> no wonder your daughters are so fierce. Well, maybe the first one. Second I love one, it though. Oh, uh, second one. All I wanted was burgers and, and Guinness. So <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, but I appreciate, see, this is what I love about these interview episodes. You also hear like the fun, like background stories of like other people. It's like, wow, I'm not the only one that's like obsessed with Pepsi or obsessed for me. It was Yerba Mate's. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah. They are so good. So it's like, you know, it's fun because it's like, we like to hear about the lifestyle part of college, not always the books and whatnot. Speaking of books, I did want to bring up. So we just did your undergrad talk. We're able to go through that. Now I'm curious to know, since you still had to keep hitting the books with your doctorate program in education at USC, how did you do it? 
And once you were done, how did it feel to be done being a student? <laughs> so, um, that when I was in my doctoral program, I had a two-year-old. I worked full-time as I was a librarian. I had gotten my full-time job at that point. Um, and I decided that I, I didn't always want to be a librarian. I wanted other options. Plus, I was kind of bored. My, my brain just felt like it wasn't working. Um, and so I went back to get my doctorate in education. And when you don't have a lot of time, there really isn't a lot of time to think of anything else. It was literally wake up, get the kid ready, go to work go study, you know, on your lunch breaks and then pick the kid up, go home, dinner, put her to bed, study, 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 study all night. And so I didn't have a whole lot of um, brain space to worry about anything else. Um, and, and honestly, if I were to do it today with the COVID environment, I don't know that I would still be able to be a student. I, I Something would have had to have broken. Um, but at the time it was there just wasn't options. And so when I was finally done, I, I defended my dissertation and they said, well, you have a couple of things you need to work on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, and so that summer I worked on those things and, um, and then, and then I turned it in in August and I was done, like completely done. But then I started the new school year. And so then you're like, okay, now I have to actually be a full-time librarian again and like do that. And so, um, we did that. And then, and then, of course, me being me, I'm because you know, I never do anything easily. I, I just like, okay, what else can I do? And so um, I started having a conversation with my husband, and I was like, okay, well, our kids now sleeping through the night because I don't birth kids that sleep. So, so like, this is something you should know about me. I don't birth kids that sleep. Um, not, none of my kids sleep through the night still. And I just, it was, it's miserable. So, you know, you're, you're up and it's, it's awful. And so finally our older one, Zoe was starting to sleep through the night and I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe we can start talking about another baby now. And Michael's like, I'm about to be 40. Are you kidding me? You're ridiculous. And I was like, well, you know, and, and we had, we had gotten pregnant and lost a baby before we got Zoe and, and she stuck. And so I was like, well, you know, could we try for like six months? And he was like, how about one? And I go, well, but we lost a baby last time. Maybe we can like, you know, maybe a little bit longer. And he's like, how about one? And I was like, okay, how about three months? Like, you know, I'll give it a shot, maybe three months. And he was like, how about one? <laughs> and I was like, so finally we got it down to one month. And the funny thing was, is that you know, now that I can do things, my best friend and I are like, let's do a girls weekend. Yes, let's go to San Diego and we're going to like get a hotel room and we're just going to hang out and, you know, just do girl stuff and do our nails. And, and I was like, yeah, let's do that. And that was the one weekend that I was ovulating. And so it was literally one night and she stuck. <laughs> And she was like, I'm coming, bitches. I'm coming for you. So the second child, she's, she's quite a handful. She's beautiful and she's amazing and she's spicy, but she is a handful. And so it was one weekend and I, it was like, and of course, you know, I was drinking the whole weekend and, you know, all the stuff that you're not supposed to do. And so I, I get... I get home and I'm like, okay, well, you know, so that happened. And then two weeks later, I started just vomiting constantly. And so I never had time to be like, okay, I'm not a student anymore because I went from being a student to being just so sick. A normal pregnancy is 39 weeks and I was sick 37 weeks of my pregnancy and just 
miserable the whole time. And so I, I like, I kind of never stopped enough to think, Oh, I'm not a student now. I just moved to the next thing. Um, and, and then all of a sudden you're a mom and I was a mom with a, you know, kindergartner and a newborn and Michael took off a week and then I was completely in charge of both of them. Um, the worst part for me was I was on bed rest at the end of Mia's pregnancy, Mia Rose's pregnancy, and I was sitting in bed and I was like, you know, this would have been a good time for me to actually start reading some of those articles and I could have like studied and actually like absorbed them, you know, because when you're a grad student, you're just like, read and you have to read so fast and respond so fast that you feel like sometimes you're not absorbing it. You're like, I feel like I should know this stuff better, but I just need to get it off. Just like read it, check. Here's my paper. Cause like in grad school, you can like write a pretty serious five page essay in like an hour. Cause you're just like done. <laughs> so I never stopped. <laughs> and your life is still going. I mean, for example, your career. And before we even get into that, the last thing I want to talk about with your whole like time at USC was, okay, so everyone, before I actually like go on with the interviews, even if it is people that I've known for many years, hence Teresa and Michael, um, I like to research my interviewees. So when I told Teresa, oh, I found your dissertation, I was reading it. <laughs> She got the biggest little smile on her face and she yells out to Michael, like, Michael, she read my dissertation. He just laughed. But hey, if you want to have like a comfortable like interview session, I suggest doing your research. And also like it makes your interview feel special. At least that's what I think, right? Sure. All right. I haven't read it since then. It's probably awful. No, I was really into it. That's why I want to bring it up. So when you were doing your dissertation, it was focusing on comparing the effectiveness of online classes and face-to-face -face among community colleges. And it was so interesting because now that we're doing this podcast, it's during the time of online education. What do you think of all that? What does that all make you, you know, feel? Oh, well, so, you know, the, the dissertation was done, let's see, nine years ago now. Um, and online was still kind of a dirty word. Um, you know, and people thought it was a lesser education. And so what I was trying to do was look at, um, you know, the how people taught in person versus online. And I did it by social economic status. So gender, um, the economics, um, ethnicity, age, all of those. And I did a full comparison. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's not surprising some of the findings that I had that um, Asian students across the board did better, no matter what the modality was. Um, and, and, and to be fair, because I, you know, the, I don't know your audience, it was Asian as a whole, because that's how we define it when people fill that out. And so it's, it's looking at that group, not in, in different pieces. It's not breaking out, you know, Japanese, Chinese, um, Laos, it's, it's all one group. So, you know, there's, there's massive, like not fair things that are being said there. Um, and, but I did find that, um, that, uh, African-American and black males and African-American um, females did worse in online. Um, Latino males did worse in online as well. And so for me, that was kind of a, a, 
a, a precursor to say, you know, okay, why is that? Um, why does that happen? And and we were talking about, you know, what's important to me and and my whole career, you know, I, I do have, I'm a white female. And so I do have privileges, but I want to use my privileges to make things better for, for other people that don't have those. And so I've always tried to find schools that had populations that, that maybe needed a little bit more guidance in terms of a, um, a person being, I can't even think of the word, like a, um, not a guide, I'm a mentor, peer mentor, sort of a mentor, kind of like, you know, someone holding the candle and like, let's get through this maze. Like a resource. Kind of, yeah, a resource. I'm a librarian at heart. So resource is a perfect word. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that kind of was a jump off point for me. Um, while I was also doing my dissertation and had the baby and all the rest of it, I was also the curriculum chair. And so I would look at curriculum in the course outlines and be like, okay, well, what's in here? Like, why would students take this class? And so jumping from, from being curriculum and then looking at online education and, and what we're doing or not doing and what our assumptions are um, sort of helped me in terms of being a librarian and then my job now. So now I'm the dean of the Library Learning Resource Center, which is the tutoring and distance ed. And so I look at distance ed in terms of that equity lens of, you know, what are we doing or what are we assuming that people know? Because not everybody knows that. I mean, I'm, when I was an undergrad, I really struggled with literature and I tried to read a book and try to write the paper and I was not doing well. And I went into a library and, and the librarian there was like, well, why are you starting from scratch? We have all of these books that can help guide you and talk about the plot. And I was like, oh my God, really? I literally started crying. Like, are you kidding me? You have like, I go, well, how many books do you have for this one? And he goes, oh, at least 20. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> thank you. And so like, you know, I had background. I am not a first generation student and I had no idea that like these amazing things exist. And so like, for me, it's like, we do all this stuff. Like, for example, I spend $90,000 a year on our databases and we're community college. Like that's a lot of money and people don't know about that. And so it's like, how do I get that information that you don't have to start from scratch? You read literature and it, I can tell you the characters and the plot, and then you can make the story yourself and just write the paper, you know, and, and like that we have tutoring. You don't have to like take a really hard math problem and try to do it yourself. There's people that can help you walk through that, you know? And so for me, this, this distance ed, you know, I put announcements up on our canvas like did you know that we have tutoring and here it is did you know that this is suicide prevention month and here's some mental health because life sucks right now you know and it's like because you don't always know that your tuition pays for that and and so we try we, you know we're so caught up in being a student and being a mom and and being an employee that we just get so tunnel visioned and all of that stuff exists to help people succeed in college, in graduate school, and people don't know it's there because nobody knows. And so part of me is, is connecting people to those resources and trying to be sort of a guide and a resource to, to like, I know your life is busy, but here's tutoring. If you even come for a half an hour, this will help you, that kind of thing. 
No, definitely. And I am proof of all her work because fun fact, for one summer, I worked as a psychology tutor (laughs) in her resource center. (laughs) It was so quiet that we didn't get any people. I felt so bad. It was so quiet. Well, I got like, I got like, I think I got like two or three, but it was definitely nice like experience. And it was a, it was also a nice resource for me because I was still like doing some homework because I believe I was taking summer classes too. So it was a great resource for me too though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and a lot of people that tutor for me at Cyprus, or am I allowed to say where I work anyway? Um, so a lot of the people that tutor for me, they want to be teachers. And so this is an ex- a, a chance for them to try it out and, you know, like really learn the content and learn how to teach that content to other people to see like, do I really want to be a teacher? Do I like this? Because if I don't, I need to like redo here. <laughs> and, and so, you know, like I, one of my favorite tutors right now is applying for a full-time job at another community college. And we just sat down with him the other day, Michael and I, to have him practice for his interview, which is tomorrow. And, you know, like, hey, like practice your, 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 um, teaching presentation. And, and I had some practice questions from how would you answer? And in like, he's going to get this job because he's amazing. And so it's like, that is huge. Like he, he was a tutor and it's, you know, it's a low paying job and it's a part-time job, but it led him to like, be able to figure out, this is what I really want to do. Cause he wanted to be a doctor at first. And he's like, no, this is, this is where I want to be. And now he's going to be a community college professor full-time and, and launch and be amazing. And he's, 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 going to be so good, not just because he knows the content, but because he's Latinx, he's, um, he's LGBTIQ and he just can connect to people. And he's exactly who we need to have in the classroom. He adores what he does. He's driven and he's a perfect mentor. And so like to see him launch is huge. And that is amazing. Oh my God. You and Mike are just always mentoring like the best, like first generation gems, you know? <laughs> well, we do, we have plenty of, of people that fall through the cracks and that I think hurts both of our, our hearts, but, you know, we love what we do. And, you know, one of the things that I was always told is there's a difference between a job and a career. And a job is you wake up every morning, you know, you get your coffee, you go to work and you're there, you sit at your desk and you do what you're required to do. And a career is something that you like doing, you get excited about doing, and you want to inspire other people. And and Michael always talks about how, you know, he sees the Psych 100 class as a chance to like get people in psychology and, and capture them. And for me, it's like, I just want to capture people in terms of college. I think it made a huge difference for me in terms of my life and, and the, the lifestyle I've been able to have the two babies and we have our condo and, and that was huge for me. And I want people to be able to, you know, not have to worry about every paycheck and, and college is a, a chance to get to that place. It's not always completely, you know, bulletproof, but it's a chance to do that. No, of course. And I think that's important to always keep in mind as people are deciding whether they want to pursue a higher education or not. Now, still sticking to the topic of education, I actually want to ask you something. So earlier today, I was reading on edscholar.org an article that was saying that CSU campuses are going to continue virtually in the spring and community colleges are already on track to plan for that same thing. What do you think of that as someone working in academia right now? 
<laughs> so um, I, have, I have multiple feelings and some are, are PC and some of them are not. Um, so from, a, from an administrator perspective, we have been planning to do spring remote since August. Um, and even before that, we were starting to plan um, a long time ago that as much that could be remote would be remote. Um, and the reason for that is, is that this this virus, the COVID virus, we don't know enough about it. Um, you know, we, we've not even had it for a whole year. We haven't gone through all of the iterations. Um, I, was, I was mentioning that I I'm still have my, my dorky academic things, and I really enjoy reading medical journals, um, and so, which is so stupid, right? I don't let us watch news because I, politics right now are, are just a, a total dumpster fire, and I, I can't do that to my kids. Um, we have enough anxiety in our house right now. And so, but I read medical journals and, and some of these medical journals are saying is that there's blood clots, you know, not just in the lungs of some of the people that have died, but in their brains and other organs. And so we don't know what this does to our body yet. And so, you know, the smartest thing we can do is to stay remote, you know, wear our masks, stay six feet away. And if we were to, to bring everyone back on campus, that's a lot of people. And I think it's, it's, a little bit irresponsible until we know more and until we have an immunization or we can figure out um, what this virus looks like because we also don't know, you know, we still don't know enough about how it impacts different people. You know, we, we know a little bit that it impacts people that are older more than younger, but we don't know how and we don't know how that looks later. And so to bring an entire college campus back, you know, we have 15,000 people. That is huge. If we brought 15,000 people back and exposed everybody and, and went about normal operations, the, the impacts on our community would be devastating. And, and in Orange County right now, Anaheim and um, Santa Ana are two of the hardest hit communities. And those are two communities. Anaheim is, is Cyprus's community and it would just make it worse. And, and you know, I, I don't think for Michael and I, our kids are online they will be this whole academic year, we made that decision because I don't want to run the risk of exposing someone else. And even if I survived it, but I gave it to them and then they died, I'm not willing to take that risk. I'm not willing to have that as something that's on me. And so we're as a family being very careful. Um, and we do, you know, we go grocery shopping and we are actually, we have a pod, our neighbor um, is unable to stay home. And so we have a third child right now during the day and we're homeschooling him with us. Um, and so we, we are, there's some acceptable risk for us, but 15,000 people at one time on a campus is an unacceptable risk. And so most of the community colleges before the article came out have all been planning on doing remote, at least in California for spring, as much as possible. We have um, on our campus, we have some of the CTE classes and some of the athletic classes that are coming in small numbers and they do testing, they, they do the temperatures and the survey every day. They, they're trying to be, you know, people are separated. The, one of our auto programs, they have like welding screens between them with, with plastic sheeting. And so they, they're all completely separated and isolated in their own little tubes, basically. So we, we do have some in-person things, but really limited. It's just, we're not, as a society, we're not ready um, to come back yet. We don't know enough. And, and we're seeing politically, um, you know, our country's a mess. We have 190,000 people that are dead 
190,000. Like that is so many people and it unnecessarily, you know, and, and it's just, we were not ready to come back to normal operations. And we've had conversations about, you know, we, this has been a really long six months and I get that or seven months now I get that, but we can't go back to normal. If our kids go back to school, they're wearing masks and they're a limited day and they're six feet away and their classes are smaller. That's not normal. And so it's unfair to, to put those expectations that we're going to go back to normal because it's not normal. And I get it that our kids need the socialization. I get it that people want to have parties and, and hang out with each other. But, you know, we just have to be careful still. And, and college campuses are just, they're not ready to come back there, we don't have enough cleaning supplies. We don't have enough people to clean it. We can't expect everyone to wear masks and be good. We, you know, people could lie on the forms, you know, it, you know, and it's just, I, I'm, I'm not willing to open the library right now because I'm not willing to have somebody's death on my hands. It's not necessary. Everything I can do right now for the library, for tutoring, for DE, it's not a hundred percent. It's not great, but it's Okay. And it is an emergency situation. It is a pandemic, and we have to be good about that. No, of course. And I completely agree with you. It's like, so earlier, I was also sharing with Teresa that right now, but I know many of you already know because I talk about it all the time. I currently work for a school district, but I also do waitress part-time because grad school is expensive. And I was telling Teresa that if California wasn't so expensive, I wouldn't be out there serving food just to make ends meet. Right now, we are outdoor patio, but as of right now, because this episode is technically pre-recorded because I have like a schedule, but anyways, (laughs) as of right now, it looks like indoor seating is going to be a thing again, so I am kind of nervous about it. I'm not going to lie. However, I I just have to get the bills paid, which is also really hard, so yeah, I, I get you, Teresa, so that's why it's like if some way I could just limit my contact with like, again, being a grad student, just doing it at home. Mm-hmm. And then I guess just go out for work. I'm just willing to do anything to do my part, but still be able to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is literally the hardest part about being a student is that you, you, you're exhausted. I mean, your head is exhausted. You can't think clearly, but you do have to still pay bills. And, and, and that's the thing is like, there has to be some level of acceptable risk, but the only way we can do that is if we as a society make choices about wearing masks and being six feet away from each other, you know, like basic things. And then we could have some normalcy and protect you as you're doing your job. But, you know, it's just, it's so hard. And I can't, I can't imagine being a student right now. And I like, my heart hurts for you. Cause it's just, it's so much to like, deal with the world and deal with, with all the uncertainty and, and do two jobs and be a student. It's so much. And it's just, my hope is that we can have some sort of calm water soon. (laughs) And I think we will. And I won't, I won't lie. Of course there are challenges with it, but it's so crazy because even though so many negative things are happening due to this pandemic, uh, there are some positives. Like I've, I look forward to these podcasts. I look forward to these interviewees because due to the social distancing, I can't really hang out with people. And I wouldn't want to, for the same reason, I don't want to put anyone's life in risk. However, for example, we're sitting, we were chatting for about 45 minutes before actually hitting (laughs) record. And I, as challenging as things may be right now, like I just, 
I try and just find the positive aspects with it too, you know? Have you found any during this time of COVID for yourself and your family? Yes, actually. Um, So I was raised Catholic, even though I'm not a practicing Catholic now. And so I constantly am guilty. And so being a working mom, I live in Minivanlandia where there's a lot of at-home moms. And so, you know, I leave on a normal day, I leave between six and six 30. My kids are just waking up and, um, I usually don't get to see them much. And then I don't get home until six 30. And as soon as I get home, it's, you know, cook the dinner, everyone gets in the shower and then go to bed. And our bedtimes in this house are pretty strict for the little one. It's eight 30 period, like between eight and eight 30, because, you know, if you're not going to sleep through the night, then you at least need to go to sleep early. And so if you total that up, that's about two hours total that I get with my kids every day, which is not okay. And so I, I constantly feel guilty, like, did I make the right decision to do the job I'm doing, to work where I'm working, which is far away from home, you know, and, and I'm constantly feeling guilty about that. And so being home means that I'm with them. And I've discovered that I really need to go back to work. <laughs> Honestly, that's every, every mom. Right. Like, so it's like, but I get to be home with them. And so, you know, they, they both started a new school year and I, I got to be there on their first day. I met their teachers online and, and I, I feel like I'm getting to spend some time with them and, and getting to know them more as people. And my teenager, she's a sophomore. And so I only have a couple more years with her in reality when she's going to like not think I'm cool anymore, not want to hang out with me or like go to college, you know? And so I feel like this is my time. I get three more years with her before she launches and, you know, I get to, she's this amazing person. And so I'm enjoying being with her and, and I get to see her moods and I get to see the good and the bad. And, you know, she's just, she's this amazing person. And so I feel like I wouldn't know her as well if I wasn't home. And so like during the summer I was still working, but they weren't. And so they, they would come in like at the beginning of our, when we were chatting, Mia was sitting on my arm and talking to you. And, and so like, you know, I know that I'm supposed to be working all day long, but the reality is, is that, you know, I make them snacks and I make them lunch and I get to talk to them and I get to see who they are as people and who they're developing. And, you know, I'm super honest. I also like drink a lot because I am home with them all the time. <laughs> like cocktail hour is a thing now. It is. A Let thing. me just tell you. Okay. Hold on everyone. Okay. As I've said before, I've known Teresa for a while now. We don't always talk because life is crazy, but I, you know, so there was this year that I, we went to Disneyland and I remember as we were waiting to get in, she was like, I'm just so excited. We can go into California adventures too. So we can drink <laughs> that stuck with me. So I actually have a wine. See, and I have my cocktail with me. <laughs> I was, it's a, a Frontierland glass. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Mine's just this little tiny wine bottle because, well, let me be real. I got a pack of four of these for four ninety nine. So I was like, <laughs> I, I remember Sutter Home. Those are those get you through. <laughs> they get you through for sure. But yeah, so I was just like, I know you're always working. I know that although you love your kids, I 
can imagine that it's like, okay, trying to do two things at once. I'm like, maybe she would like a little, a little wine instead of cafecito for this episode. So I came prepared, <laughs> but I felt like we were so into our conversation. I forgot to bring it up. Like, Hey, I thought of you. See, well, and it's just, the reality is, is that, you know, we have our students talk about that, that it's a noisy workplace and, you know, people can't see where I am, but the only place that I had to set up like a table is in our kitchen. <laughs> so there's people here all the time. I get it. There is no quiet zone. And, you know, just because I'm not studying anymore doesn't mean I don't need to think. I have reports that are due and all the rest of it, and I'm constantly interrupted. And so the reality is by the end of the day, I just sometimes need some time for myself. And so Michael and I will sit on the patio and we'll sit and have a cocktail. I'll have a glass of wine. He'll have his vodka tonic. And it's just like, okay, this is a transition from being a worker bee to being a mom and just not being around our kids at all times. <laughs> no, I completely understand. Oh my gosh, Teresa. Uh, I hope... Even if it's just for season three, I hope I can snag you for another episode. Like, I know this episode hasn't uploaded yet, but I, I could see it going really well. Because, And I feel like we have so much more to talk about, like so much that you, you can share. We didn't even touch your feminist avenue background. We so, can keep going. <laughs> I know, but I have to keep this episode under 48 minutes. I know. I know. But it's okay. So before we officially end this episode, I did want to ask, is are you how could I say this? Is there anything you want to share with our listeners? And is there any way that they could contact you if they want any advice, whether it be with grad school, whether it be to learn more about like a library, like how to be a librarian, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So what I would say is um, the best thing you can do being a grad student specifically is be good to yourself. Be aware of when you're going to hit the wall and take a break. I know it's super scary because you think you're going to get behind, but take a break. Go for a walk. Go, you know, for me that I was lucky enough to live near the beach. <laughs> so I would park on a side street and I would literally just stare at the beach and just turn off for a half an hour. And, and I know that like, I get it a half an hour for a grad student, especially somebody working at the same time. Or if you have a family that half an hour, that will kill you. A half an hour could take your entire week's planning out and you'll get behind, but sometimes you have to do it. So I would say, you know, people say it all the time, just be good to yourself and do self-care and self-care exists for different, different ways for different people. Um, but you do need to, you do need to take a break sometimes and just reset your brain so that you can then focus. Um, and, um, so that, so that would be my advice. Um, in terms of contacting me, absolutely. Um, I love to talk to people that are interested in library science because it was a savior for me and it, it helped me be who I, I needed to be in my life. And it's an amazing career. Um, the, the best way to get a hold of me is just my first initial T and my last name, Cassins, at gmail.com. So that's my, my personal email. Um, and I will, will try to respond as soon as I can. It, as the dean of DE, I went from 30% to 100% of the college. So if it takes me a little bit to get back, it's not that I'm ignoring you. I'm just probably overwhelmed at that particular moment. And I will try to get back to anyone as soon as I can. And you're just hustling through, and I love it. All right, my dear. So we're going to go ahead and click off from this episode. But thank you, everyone, thank you. for listening. And who knows? Maybe in the future you'll hear again from Teresa. You're actually a really awesome pod. Like, you'd be a great podcast co-host. 
If no, you, no, no. That's you. You, you do so well with Thank this. This is so fun. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, if you, like, as the kids keep growing and if you and Michael need a new hobby, you two should consider doing a podcast. Like, I could see it being successful. Hmm. I, I don't know. We, we're, um, we're not always for polite society, especially when we get together, the two of us. So we're not always as PC as we should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.